please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
to you and to find the, the joy that you offer to us. We pray, Lord, that you will speak into our lives today. Let this worship be, be pleasing to you and be a means of nurture for us. We pray this through Christ Jesus. A word of greeting with others in worship before you're seated.
just uh, one thing to uh, make you aware of that the, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent in the church calendar, and so we'll be having a service here uh, Wednesday evening at 6.30. Uh, the children's ministries will be running on a regular schedule, but we'll be meeting in here for the service, and we uh, would love to have you be a part of that. It, it may not be a part of your history of coming to uh, an Ash Wednesday service, but there's a, there's a lot of power in this service, uh, silence of um, a chance to see and to visualize some things, uh, to pray together, and to just set our hearts on, uh, on a path in this season of Lent to think about the, the passion and uh, the gift of Christ to us that ultimately culminates in the cross. And so we invite you to the service on Wednesday at 6.30. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
we spend some time praying together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, uh, please come and join me. Father, as we come to this time of prayer today, it is no secret that we need you. We sometimes forget that. But today we come and we acknowledge how much we need you. We need you in those private moments of life and our struggles. We need you as we bear witness to you and your grace in the world. We need you in our families in the places where we work. We need you in this church. We need you. We come today and we throw ourselves at your gracious feet and ask for your mercy upon us. Father, today we pray for the burdens and the struggles that we represent and we think of people who are grieving and ask that you comfort them. We pray for all who are struggling with illness, pain. We continue to pray for Calvin and Laurel Bucher, for Warren Woolsey, for Bill Getty and Phil Mucher, Mike Raybuck and Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar, and for others that are on our hearts and our minds today. and We ask for your healing grace upon each of them. We pray, Father, for uh, the local institutions that we are connected to, and we ask for your blessing and on each one. We pray for the work of your people throughout the world, and we pray especially today for Bruce and Donna Hess and their work with, with uh, OMS. We ask, Father, that your blessing would be upon them as they work with students here and other places and as they continue to serve you, may your grace be at work in their lives. We pray for our brothers and sisters who uh, face great difficulties because they follow you. We think particularly of of, uh, people in uh, Ethiopia and Zimbabwe and southern Sudan all who are suffering from famine, hunger, and starvation, Lord, because there is a delay in the peace process, Lord, we ask that you will help the church to be a part of making that process come together, bringing an end to the suffering and pain of so many. We pray, Father, that your church would continue to be a presence of hope and grace in very difficult circumstances. Father, we pray for all people in this world who are particularly vulnerable. We ask that you would wrap your arms of protection and love around them. We think of refugees and people who are, uh, who are imprisoned and people who are being trafficked in all the ways in this world in which we hurt other human beings. We ask for your grace to be at work, to heal, to free, to do justice. Father, we pray that you will continue to be at work in our lives each and every day. Help us to see you and to rejoice and to be glad in you. Father, we pray that you will continue to fill our hearts with the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And it is in his name that we offer our prayer today, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading can be found in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. I ask that you stand as the tradition of the church for the reading of the gospel. Following the reading, children may be dismissed for children's church and junior church. Luke chapter 4. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. We want to be close, close to your side, so heaven is Shake before you the demons 
Please be seated. It's difficult to kind of rate what books have had the most impact on your life. I suspect if we took a poll this morning and said, you know, tell me your top ten, we'd we'd probably be arguing in our minds about what those might be. One of the books that has had a a lot of impact on my life through the years, it was written in 1980, and something I read as I was graduating from seminary, the Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. And um, it's, a, it's a powerful book about life and love and discipline and growth. And uh, just, it's really impacted me, and I've read it uh, a few times, and uh, it's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful treatise. I think the thing that struck me uh, in reading that book, it was the very first sentence. It's one of those things that just hits you right up front. Just three words. But it begins that book by, by stating this. It simply says, life is difficult. Life is difficult. And he goes on to talk about the fact that it's hard for us sometimes to grasp that and to acknowledge that. Because quite frankly, we want to believe that life isn't difficult. And that when difficulties come and troubles come and the struggles of life come, that that's abnormal. That what we really deserve is a life that's not difficult. And you can tell that we wrestle with that because when we begin to think about the difficulties of life, one of the first questions that tends to come to our minds is, okay, if life is difficult, then God, what are you going to do about it? And what we really mean by that is, aren't you going to make it less difficult? Aren't you going to take away the difficulties? Aren't you going to do what I want you to do so that it's not so difficult? And I think one of the reasons we wrestle with life is because we struggle to believe that life is difficult... And because we want God to do what we want him to do. And it seems as if, in many of our minds, God doesn't really care about us if he doesn't do what we want him to do. And when I come to this passage in the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel, there is something in this story underneath it that's reminds me and says to me that everyone is struggling with the difficulties of life. And sometimes we acknowledge it more than other times, but all of us are seeking, all of us are wrestling with life, wanting it to be different and looking for solutions. And to the people of Capernaum, here comes Jesus, and it isn't very long before they realize he's a solution. And quite frankly, Jesus tells them, I'm the solution. He starts by, in the synagogue, teaching them. It's, you know, he does what every other itinerant preacher does. He goes to the synagogue. That's, that's where the place of learning for the Jews. And so he's in the synagogue. He's teaching. He doesn't tell us what he's teaching. But it, I, I kind of wonder if it isn't the same thing that's happening that he talked about in Nazareth. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to, to the poor and to, to heal the sick. And to release captives and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. That year of jubilee thing. And he comes and he teaches. And what intrigues me is that it says to us, the people say, that he teaches with authority. It says that they were amazed at his teaching for he spoke with authority. That says to me that most of the people who teach them are not a people of authority. I should probably put this on tonight. Sorry about that. Mike's going, what's going on? 
But they're not people of authority. They come and they talk about all kinds of things. They tell all kinds of stories. But they don't have that sense of authority. And I don't know exactly what that means. But something about the way Jesus teaches, the people realize he's different. There is an authority here about life and about the word and about who God is and about what God is going to do. And they're attracted to that. And great things are happening. And in the middle of those great things happening and people seeing it, a man who is possessed by a demon stands up and starts yelling at Jesus. And I'm intrigued by what he says. Different translations say it differently. In uh, the New Living Translations, it says, Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, the simple answer to that last question is yes. Yes. Yes, I have come to destroy you. John writes in his first epistle, The Son Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus comes to do that. But in one of the other translations, it says, uh, what business is it of yours to bother us? Let us be. And it strikes me that one of the reasons Jesus comes is is to address evil in this world. And he will not let it be. He will just not let it go. And, and sometimes it's hard for us because, quite frankly, we look around the world and there's an awful lot of evil. There's an awful lot of stuff going on in the world that you can only describe as the work of the evil one. And it feels like God is letting it go. It feels like God doesn't really care. He's not really interested. He's not taking care of it the way we want him to. But Jesus comes to tell us in no uncertain terms, because of his authority as the Son of God, he is not letting it go. He cares. And evil is no match for him. He casts out this demon. All he has to do is say, come out of that man. And there's no argument, there's no discussion, there's no, there's no pushback. He just has to do what Jesus says. And Jesus has that kind of authority, that kind of power over evil. Our struggle is that we don't always see it the way we want to, and it makes us doubt about that. But the reality of the faith and the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is greater than evil. We are eventually going to see that in its fullest form by what takes place in a tomb a couple of days after crucifixion. But from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is clear that he has authority over evil. And he rebukes that demon. And sets the man free. When the day is done, they get to that day, they go to um, the home of Peter, Simon. And his mother-in-law is ill. She has a high fever. And you get the sense that this is a serious illness. And they ask Jesus to heal her. And he does. What intrigues me is how Jesus heals her. He he stands over her and Luke says that he rebukes the fever. That seems an odd word to use about a fever, doesn't it? To rebuke a fever. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. Some of the translations in the earlier story of the synagogue where he casts out the demon, some of the translations, including the the New International Version and others, don't use that word, but the same word is used in Greek, that Jesus rebukes the evil spirit. And now Jesus rebukes the fever. It's one of the things that ties these stories together. And and she's healed. And, And it speaks to me 
about the fact that Jesus isn't, doesn't just have authority over evil, but he has authority over the consequences of evil. Now by that, I don't mean that this woman sinned and so that's why she got sick. There are people who will say that. You know, there's this declaration that if you're sick, you must have done something wrong. If you're struggling with illness, then you must have sinned. Because people who are followers of Jesus don't get sick. Well, we all know that's not true. I don't know how else to say it. This is not true. So I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that because of evil in the world, we live in a fallen, broken world. In which people have illnesses like fevers and heart disease and cancer. And there are accidents that happen. And there, and there are struggles that we face. And the foundation of our faith is that even those things, Jesus has authority over them. Jesus is greater than they are. And we may not see it in this world all the time. But ultimately, we will. Ultimately, the day is coming when all of the diseases and the struggles that we wrestle with will be healed. And all will be made new when Jesus ushers in his kingdom. But even until that happens, we live with this underlying faith that Jesus is greater than the consequences of evil. We all know, we all wrestle with the consequences of evil. I mean, we get sick. We have people in our lives who succumb to illness and accidents. And we, and we wrestle with things like, you know, our jobs and are we going to find a job? Are we going to, we have financial difficulties. We have relational difficulties. I mean, we have all kinds of difficulties. And they're all bigger than us. I mean, let's acknowledge it. They're all bigger than us because if they weren't bigger than us, we just take care of them and move on. But there, are, there is something about all of these things that are beyond our ability to control them. We are unable to control sickness and disease as much as we try. And as many, much progress as the medical world has made, there are often times where all a physician can say is, this is the best we can do. And every time a new drug is put on the market to help heal this thing, we all know there are always side effects that you have to live with as well. We're always wrestling, trying to figure out why these things are happening. And now we have the, the we, you know, there's one new virus coming after another. Now the Zika virus, Zika virus is hitting the world. It's beyond our control. And we, we may face a situation where, where we're, we're trying to figure out about, you know, are we going to get this job or what's going to happen in the future? Are we going to make this financially? Is this relationship going to happen? And, and the reason we ask these questions is because we can't control all of it. It's bigger than us. And Luke is telling us that it may be bigger than us, but it's not bigger than Jesus. And that's the foundation of our faith. Jesus is greater, bigger, stronger, even than the consequences of this fallen, broken world that all of us live with. When we read about the injustice in the world and the heinous things that are happening in places all over the world, and it tears at our hearts The foundation of our faith is, even though we don't see it, Jesus is still greater. And God cares. And the fact that Jesus comes proves to us God cares. As the day comes to an end, people come to Jesus, lots of people are healed. Lots of more demons are cast out of folks. And it says that a number of the demons stand up and challenge Jesus and say, we know who you are. You're the son of God. 
And for the third time, Jesus again speaks words of rebuke. And this time, he, he rebukes them about speaking who he is. And I've always thought that was an odd thing. I mean, wouldn't the best PR strategy be people know who you are, right? I mean, he came to let people know who he is. And so here you've got people saying this is who he is. And not only that, not only are his friends saying that, but his enemies are saying that. You know, I mean, how much more can you get? You know, I mean, not only the people that maybe the people that like us, when they talk well of us, speak well of us, okay, that's great. But when people who don't like us speak well of us, wow, that's even better. That's the kind of stuff you put on your resume in the back of your book cover, right? I mean, these are good things. And yet here's Jesus saying, no, you don't get to say that. And I think one of the reasons is because, because the evil one is, n- is not the one who's going to tell people who Jesus is. But even bigger than that, the evil one has absolutely no control over the kingdom and the decisions of the kingdom. I think one of the reasons Jesus does not want this declared to the people is that they're not ready for it yet. It's going to take them a long time of being with Jesus and watching Jesus and interacting with Jesus for them to come to realize the the reality of who he is. And right now, to declare that is not going to be a good idea for them. They aren't going to be able to handle it. It's going to throw them. The timing isn't right yet. It reminds me of the earlier part of chapter 4 when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and, and Satan takes him up to the top of the temple mount and he says, why don't you jump off because scripture says your, the angels will save you. And when that happens, you are going to get a crowd like you can't believe. I mean, if people are up there, the whole crowd's going to gather to watch you on top of this thing and then when they see you jump and the angels save you, you talk about public relations. Wow, that's it right there. People will flock to you. This is what you need to do. And Jesus says, that's not the way we're doing things in the kingdom. And here again, Jesus says, this is not the way we do things in the kingdom. The timing is not right. And it is a declaration that that evil does not determine what happens in the kingdom. Sometimes we have this sense that... God is reacting to evil. That evil really has God on the run and he's backpedaling and he's chasing him. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, God has has allowed, because of free will and and the world in which we live, God has given evil a certain amount of leeway and it's using it. But God is still in control. All it takes is for Jesus to say, be quiet. And the demons are silent. And there isn't a thing they can do about it. And there is a confidence for us in that. That as we're dealing with our struggles and our difficulties, and we're wondering, does God know what's happening? Is God here with me? Is God on top of this? We can be assured That God is still in control. I think there's something of this idea going on as you come to the end of this section. When the people of Capernaum come to Jesus and say, you know, he's trying to get away for some solitude. And they come to find him. And their question for him, what they say to him is, we want you to stay here with us. We want you to just hang out with us here. And in essence, they're saying, we realize that you've got something special And we'd like to keep our arms around it. We want to keep you here with us because this is pretty awesome. And you can just keep healing us. And and you can keep teaching us. And and you can just sort of be our, our personal God. Of course, Jesus says, again, that's not how the kingdom works. I'm going out to the rest of the world. There is something... There's, there's something in what the people of Capernaum are asking Jesus that it almost feels like they're saying to him, we'd like for you to be our personal errand boy. 
I just want you to do what we want you to do. I was talking to someone about this this week, and they said maybe a better analogy is our personal genie, which I think is probably better because an errand boy really doesn't have a lot of power to do anything, but a genie does. You know, all the legends of the genie, you rub the magic lamp and the genie comes out, and, and you get wishes that the genie grants. And here, the thing is, the genie has more power than human beings do, but human beings control the genie. And I think there's something, I don't think it's necessarily conscious that they're doing this, but that's really the message they're sending to Jesus. And quite frankly, that is sometimes a message that we send to Jesus. We love this power you've got. We, we love the way you're, you're working in our lives and in this place. And we just kind of want to corral that. And we want to make you our personal genie that does what we want you to do when we want you to do it. And we want you to do things the way we want you to do them because the bottom line is we really know best. And Jesus has to keep reminding us that, for one thing, we don't know best. And that the authority is his, not ours. We aren't aren't intended to control Jesus. The call of the gospel is that we surrender to Jesus. That we surrender to his wisdom and his authority and his grace and his love. And maybe, even though I understand the language that we use when we talk about this, but maybe instead of thinking of Jesus as my Lord, we think of Jesus as the Lord. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes, he is ours in the sense that we have a relationship with him, but not in the sense that we control him. But the call on our lives is to surrender, to trust. In all of this, there's so much that we don't understand, so much that we don't see, so much that may confuse us, so much that might cause us to doubt. But at some point in the midst of all of that, to be a follower of Jesus is to believe that he is in control and we can trust him. Psalm 42 talks a lot about the discouragement of the, of the psalmist and the struggle that the psalmist is going through. And he keeps talking about, you know, this journey and the struggle and why am I so downcast and why am I struggling so much? And he gets to the end of it and he simply says, I will put my hope in the Lord. And that's the call on us. But it's not just trust in the sense of I believe. Trust in the scriptures is always active. It's always something we're doing. I've thought of it this way. We only trust Jesus if other people examine our lives and believe that we trust Jesus. We're really only trusting Jesus if other people can see that we're trusting Jesus. And sometimes it's in our hearts, but by our actions and our activities, what message are we sending that we we really don't trust Jesus, but we say we do, or we really are engaged in trusting Jesus? And so it affects how we pray and how we view the church and how we view other people and how we view the rest of the world and the circumstances of the world. And it's one thing to lament the pain and the evil and the injustice and the struggles of the world. It's another thing to wring our hands and wonder, can God do anything about it? Somewhere in the midst of that, we trust. But it's active trust, and that means we are actively involved with Jesus in combating evil and its consequences. It's not enough to say, I believe God is going to take, is taking care of all the injustice of the world. The question that keeps coming back to us, if we really believe that, then are we on board with God to do something about it? 
I believe that God is at work in, in dealing with the, the consequences of evil in this world. If we are, what are we doing to help other people as they walk through things? It's always active, active faith. And ultimately, it just comes back to believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That all authority is his. We're going to get to to the beginning of, of Luke's book number two, the book of Acts. And he tells us that Jesus, as before he ascends to heaven, says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go and be my witnesses. You go and bear witness to everyone else of my authority and my power. And that's our calling. I, I enjoy reading uh, spy novels. You know, I, I, one of my favorites was, was the late Vince Flynn. And, uh, I, I love reading his books. And I love reading uh, Lee Child and uh, Robert Ludlum and Daniel Silva. Is, and all these books are kind of the same. In the sense that you know, they all have a hero that appears in all of the books. And they also have a plot line that is, you know, I mean, that's just the way plot lines go. Is that this person is sort of living their life and then some great world tragedy is unfolding. And they are called in to do something about it. And, and in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of the struggle, it looks helpless and hopeless. And evil is winning, and their enemies are winning, and, and people are being hurt, and, and things are being destroyed. And it looks as if there's no way anything can ever get out of it, and, any, and the hero is ever going to get through it. And if the author is good, and these authors are, are in my opinion, then when you're in the middle of reading this, when I'm in the middle of reading this, I'm getting so into the story that I'm feeling all the emotion of the people in the story. You know, I'm getting angry and upset and I'm, I'm ready. I want him to take these people out and I want him to, you know, I'm just really engaged in it. And sometimes, you know, I tend to read these in the evening at night before I go to bed. And sometimes I have to put them down because I'm just so wired that I can't go to sleep. And, you know, but good authors bring you into the story in such a way that you're engaging with the characters of the story. And you begin to feel what they feel and think what they think. And you're, you're sensing all of the despair and the hopelessness that's never going to work out. And then I remember that this is a book where this person is a hero. And there are other books where they're the heroes. And I'm pretty sure they're going to make it in the end. They're going to solve it. It's going to come out okay. And in the middle of, of the emotion and the struggle of the story, I'm able to step back and take a deep breath because I have a sense of how the book's going to end. I might not know, I, I know what's going to happen. I just don't know how the author is going to get us there. And that's the joy of reading it. And there is something about our faith that mirrors that. We know how things are going to end. We know. But when you're in the middle of the struggle... When you're in the middle of the burden and you know and you see all of the difficulties and you're feeling it, sometimes it's hard to see the end. And it's in that moment that we're called to believe, to trust, that Jesus is in control whether we see it or not. That all things are ultimately in his hands, whether we see it or not. That he is good and merciful, whether we see it or not. And we can trust him. So as you think about something in your life, something in the greater world, Something that 
Even today, you may be finding hard to see Jesus in the middle of it. To see Jesus with authority over it. In this moment of silence that we're going to take, let's ask the Lord to give us the ability to trust him. And to get a glimpse of how it's going to end. May the reality of that give us hope in the middle of the journey. Holy Father, give us a a clearer vision of the authority of Jesus over all things. Fill us with hope. Help us to trust. Give us a glimpse of you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. There is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost. You called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress for your streams of forgiveness and the shade of your And with compassion for the hurting, you reached out your hand as the lame ran to meet you and the dead breathed again. You saw behind the eyes of sorrow and shared in our tears, heard the sigh of the weary, let the children draw Surely you have borne our suffering and carried our grief as you pardoned the suffer and showed grace to the This gospel of peace to the fields of injustice and the valleys of need. 
Bless you, keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.